This is episode 87 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast, and I'm your host, John S. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Lee from London, England, a member of Overeaters Anonymous. We'll talk about her experience with binge eating and drinking, as well as her perspective on recovery. Welcome, Lee. It's nice to have you here. Hi there. So how are you doing today? I'm okay. I just cycled home in the rain, which is something I like to do. Uh, it's, it's morning over here. I'm having a cup of coffee and I'm ready to have a little chat. What we generally do here is start with um, a person kind of introducing themselves through their their addiction story. Okay. So what I usually say when I'm in a meeting is, hi, I'm Lee and I'm a member. Um, I don't like to label myself, um, but I have had problems with binge eating. Uh, well, I still do really. And binge drinking to a lesser extent and other compulsive behaviors over the years. And um, I'm bipolar and have borderline personality disorder, which really affects my, what I call acting out. So I've been a member of Overeaters Anonymous on and off for 13 years. And when I first got in, it was great to be around people for whom food was a big deal. I can't, I'm not sure if I can explain why that feels important, but it's not something people would generally talk about in day-to-day life so I, I really you know appreciated the identification I got at my first meeting um which has continued to be useful to me I came up against the the god stuff quite quickly I've been an atheist since I was 12 years old um so I did find that quite difficult and, and there are various workarounds I've used but I've been in and out for 13 years so there's kind of I'm not sure where to start really and <laughs> um, but this time round. I, I can't remember the, the timeline of this, but I was able to access your podcast yeah. and AA Agnostica mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and other bits and bobs around the atheist movement, well, secular mm-hmm. um, AA. Mm-hmm. And I found that just so useful in showing me that it's possible to work the program without having gods or even a higher power and that there's ways of translating it in a way that works mm-hmm. for, you know, the individual. Yeah, uh, that's uh, with me as well, um, finding the the ability to, to translate the program in my own language. So I did not realize until recently that even here in the United States that um, OA meetings are have the religious baggage that uh, AA has. And, and I guess it's just natural because they've adopted the same steps. But... How 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 did you learn to cope with that, and how do, how do you approach the program now? The first time around, um, I was taught to fake it till I made made it, and I just couldn't. I mean, I try. I managed. To, well, I, step one for me is easy. It's very obvious that I've you know got a problem with binge eating, and that it's not something I can control on my own. But steps two and three, where you um, come to believe that power greatness yourself can restore its use to sanity. I could manage to fake that the first time. Um, I did steps four and five quite easily because I'm really 
quite used to telling my story and being honest with myself mm-hmm. and other people. But when it got to step six and seven, where you know, have to believe that power of greater than yourself could remove your shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, as someone who has bipolar disorder and borderline mm-hmm. personality disorder, and those are you know some of the big impacts on how I act out with food and other stuff. I mean, that just sounded insane to me. Right. And yeah, so I, 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 that was one of the points at which I left OA for a bit. Um, yeah, so how does, how have I come to an understanding? Um, before I talk about that, I wanted mm-hmm. to say what the problems I have come across in OA. Okay. If that's okay. Absolutely. There's a lot of pressure to have a higher power in our, in OA um, that I've experienced anyway in, in the London meetings I've been to. And it's not a religious God necessarily, and it's that's not something that's pushed. Um, Christianity isn't such a big deal in the UK as it is in the US. And they, the, the, the people in OA in London, a lot of them have what I call a fluffy hippie God. Okay. I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. And I'll use that phrase a lot, fluffy hippie okay. god. Okay. I understand exactly um, what you're it, talking about. But it's not it's you know, it's a non threatening thing. Right. It's a gentle thing, you can make it up, you know. But I don't have the imagination mm-hmm. to make up this higher power right. that can look after me. And so whenever I'd express problems with, you know, oh, I'm feeling really angry lately or I'm, you know, I'm having problems binging or whatever, this, that or the other, they'd say, oh, well, you need a higher power. It's as if that is the only solution to my problems. And that was the problem, you know, that I had. But I've I've done a lot of therapy over the years um, of the behavioral, cognitive behavioral type. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, specialist for my personality disorder. And I found the tools that I use in therapy to question if uh, what my assumptions are to self-soothe to um to have to to really talk myself out of kind of judgmental thinking or anxiety related thinking um so some of the tools that I've used are useful and can sort of be used instead of a higher power right but i think i think what a lot of the time when people have a higher power it's that bit inside them that that is the that is still them right it's it's them talking to themselves in a helpful way right although i don't know if that's too prejudiced of me to think like that and um, you know i tend to think the same thing you know um if there if there's value in prayer it's not i'm a i'm an atheist and so <clears throat> i do believe that people benefit you know when they pray but the benefit they're getting is the the affirmations that they're they're, they're giving themselves you know um and I even use the serenity prayer. I'm, I, I do. I, I can't help it because it's just a, such a part of me. But I'm definitely not praying to any sort of a God. I'm just saying words that comfort me, mm. you know, and I think that <clears throat> that other people that they might maybe they do believe there's a God, but it's just that. It's just that kind of centering yourself and trying to calm yourself and bring yourself to some sort of a, a place where you can kind of relax with how things are is um, what I think the benefit that people get from that. 
but um, very interesting about how the higher power is stressed so much. I mean, because really, my the way my view of the program is, it's it's really more, you know, the higher power. If there is, if if anyone has a power, a higher power, I think the only purpose of it is to empower one to actually do things, you know, to actually take action. So it's almost like it's almost immaterial what a person believes is empowering them to take the action. In my opinion, but um, so many people get kind of hung up on that supernatural being of something that has to kind of take care of us uh, i don't quite get that either yeah well i mean it does sound like it's something that is very useful to yeah. have yeah. if you if you have this religious belief and you have this faith that a god will look after you i mean it, it i can imagine that being a great comfort <laughs> i guess just, so yeah. yeah just that i don't have that i mean talking about prayer i mean i do i i, I have found positive affirmations right to be very useful and that's that you know that's similar to right. prayer i think right and um, and which have to be realistic um, for me, like uh, r- rather than saying I'm the best at X Y Z, I'm good at X Y Z. Um, I'm good enough is the one that's the hardest and the most useful affirmation for me. I do use the serenity prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I when I'm in meetings, I always leave off the God bit and start yeah. with grant me the serenity. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've recently started with a. Um, a very old uh, prayer. I can't remember the saint who did it. Um, that all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Oh, I like and that. I'll, yeah, it's a really good one. I'll repeat it again and again um, in a meditation or something. Um, but obviously, I don't believe that absolutely everything will be fine. Right. Because, you know, problems happen and we're all going to die. Right. <laughs> but still it is just, just kind of repeating something like that does have a calming effect, you know, and centering a person. Yeah. Um, you know, Lee, I was kind of curious, you mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy and I don't mm-hmm. know a lot about it, but one of our very early podcasts here was with John Stewart, um, who is also, he's from Brighton, but he, um, mm-hmm. he was really, uh, into cognitive behavioral therapy and talked about it a little bit. Can you talk about the some of the basic tools that you use in CBT um, and kind of explain those so that I can understand them and maybe the people who listen to this podcast could benefit from that? Well, I'll have a go. Okay. Um, the, I did a specialist um, co- a behavioral therapy called mentalization-based therapy, which is a bit of a name, uh, a chunky name, mm-hmm. but it is essentially thinking about your thinking Okay. Um, like meta thinking. Um, and the biggest um, question that the therapists would ask and eventually we would ask ourselves in, in group therapy is what's the assumption? Um, what is that belief that you have? Um, like, for example, I can't face tidying up today. It would be a thought. What's the assumption? Um, the assumption might be that I assume that I'm not going to be able to cope. What's the evidence for that? And other assumptions might be that um, um, that it will take, you know, forever or that I'll have to do it, you know, forever and um, sort of have a conversation with that thought. Um, it's also quite helpful for um, a lot of people with borderline personality disorder mm-hmm. will feel um, that other people don't like them yeah. or that they hate them and right. stuff. And so, you know, you go to a party, somebody might say something and you go into a tailspin of assuming oh, yeah. that they hate you. Right. That everybody hates me. Right. Everybody hates me. Mm. What's the, what, what's the evidence for that? 
Um, and um, and we had these conversations uh, with our therapists and, and in group therapy about that. I think the the basics of CBT are to separate out your thoughts from your feelings from the action that right. you take. Okay. And that that action, you know, an unhelpful action would be right. to be to to uh, react by binging. Right. Um, and so you kind of work back and think, what what was I thinking before I had the binge? Like, oh, I um, I I had a really difficult time today. I don't want to feel uh, the these difficult feelings. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the feelings would be discomfort, irritation, um, fear, anxiety, whatever, and separate out that from the action. Okay. Um, but I don't know much about sort of classic CBT. It's usually sure. a much shorter course than the like one year of MBT that I did. Uh-huh. There is a lot of value, I think, in understanding that our brain is an organism and it kind of produces these thoughts. And I guess these thoughts generate these feelings and to be able to separate them out and really kind of think rationally about what's mm-hmm. happening. That's how I'm kind of understanding what you're talking about. It does help make sense of things. Kind of reminds me actually of something, an an old AA thing. It actually predates AA and Mm. it it was religious in nature. But back when um, the, when before AA was actually founded and they were all meeting in the Oxford group, they had something called the four absolutes and they were totally religious principles. They were built upon all, Mm. all religion. There was one of the absolutes that was um helpful to me and i kind and it kind of reminds me of what you're talking about i think if i remember right it was is it true and basically mm-hmm. it was just a question that i would ask myself when i was feeling like something of if i was feeling afraid or if i was feeling nervous or you know concerned or or depressed or whatever i would ask myself is it true and it really did help me because I would stop and like you, like you just described, I would look at the evidence and I would often realize that whatever I was feeling was not, wasn't really grounded in reality. It, you know, that wasn't really happening and it actually did kind of help me. <laughs> so, you know, um, um, I kind of get a sense that, that maybe I was in a roundabout way doing that, um, what, what you were describing perhaps. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah. Um, I something I've learned recently as well is to honor my feelings and to not assume that when I think I'm being rational, that I am actually being rational. Um, I think something I find slightly problematic in the atheist movement is this belief that that we can absolutely be rational. Right. I think that belief is irrational. Right. Like <laughs> well, it's um, pretty deep there, doesn't it? Yes, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, I was wondering, should I talk about what a, a food binge is like for me? Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. Okay, so I start from having this thought of that I can't cope with how I'm feeling, and it feels like the um, the distance between the thought and the action is instant. Um, and I'll I'll think right, I'm going to go to the supermarket and I know that I'm going to buy binge foods when I do that. Um, so I'll buy, um, for me, fatty foods is, is a big part of, of what I binge on. So I'd buy, um, uh, f- mackerel, um, the ready cooked stuff that's mm-hmm. got skin on, um, and camembert and, uh, crisps, uh, chips in, uh, in uh, US English. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also binging on alcohol quite often mm-hmm. during these times. So I'd buy a bottle of red wine 
as well and possibly some ice cream or something mm -hmm. and I'd take them home and I'd go to the computer at my desk the computer desk mm -hmm. and I'd put the computer on I'd put Netflix on and open up the internet for to get reddit uh, um, up and then I'd binge on my own I'd eat everything mm -hmm. um, and I'd try and make it last as long as I could really yeah and I'd do that once a week or twice a week or mm -hmm. more if things were getting bad so that's one one aspect of my eating is like that there's the there's the going to the shop for the for the binge foods that's one thing there's an there's another thing where i have if there's food in the house that i find tempting mm -hmm. um like if there was a whole roast chicken in the fridge mm -hmm. it's like it talks to me Mm -hmm. um, not actually talks to me, but I just have these arguments with the chicken in the <laughs> fridge. Um, if I'm not using the tools that I have, um, I will go to the fridge and I will get half the chicken and eat it mm -hmm. and sort of say, well, I'm just going to eat, it's just going to eat half. And then <laughs> I go back and eat some more and eat some more. Um, I used to do that with butter. Mm -hmm. That's pretty disgusting. Because I, th I think the the butter pats that we have in the UK are maybe two sticks worth mm -hmm. of butter. Mm -hmm. So I'd eat half of that and then I'd eat some more. And it's uh, gross um, <laughs> thinking about it um, without doing it. You know, it's, yeah. it is pretty horrible. And then the, another aspect of my overeating is just generally eating a bit too much. Mm-hmm. Um, which wouldn't be terribly problematic, except that because of the binging I've done over the years, I am over 250 pounds mm -hmm. and I'm five foot five. Um, I'm obese and it is not good for me to overeat. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of feelings attached to all of that. I'm sure after a binge, is it followed by Actually, depression? Actually, there isn't for me. There is for a lot of people. But I very, very quickly realized that if um, either immediately after the binge or the morning after, if I if I gave myself a hard time, if I was to beat myself up about it, mm -hmm. it wouldn't stop me binging the next time. So I very, very quickly learned to tell myself that it's okay that I binged because of, you know, the problems that I have. Yeah, and, and, and it, because it would be very, very easy to, to get really upset and have a lot of shame and guilt and then go immediately back to the food. Right. And that's not something I wanted to, to do. Right. So I don't have feelings of depression after. I might have, I mean, I, I, talk, I mentioned alcohol, but mm -hmm. even without alcohol, I might have a hangover the next day after right. a food binge um, where I feel sluggish and uh, lacking in energy and... Yeah, headachey and just generally blah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's kind of the immediate aftermath. But the good thing about the binge is, is it takes the feelings away. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I wanted. And people talk about it no longer working for them, the binge eating or binge drinking or whatever, mm -hmm. but it's never not worked for me. It's right. always took my feelings away. Um, the same with me with drinking. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that might be what all addictions have in common is that the ability that it takes us away from whatever reality that we, we can't deal with. Yeah. You know, that was the one thing I re I recall is um, wanting to shut my mind off sometimes. And the sure way of doing that was to drink. Yep. 
and, and I have the same. I mean, I I, I, I haven't talked about my binge drinking yet, mm-hmm. but I have the same um, emotional switch off with compulsive eating mm-hmm. as I have with binge drinking. Mm-hmm. It does switch the feelings off. Yeah, for me. So, uh, and I think that's a big part of the of recovery, I guess, from any addiction is learning how to live with you know being clean, sober. Um, and uh, dealing with life on life's terms, I guess, is the way they say it. Mm. I had a really useful thing from a, an old sponsor years ago, which is, one, how do I feel in 10 words or less? Two, it's okay to feel, this will pass. And three, do something different. If you're stuck sitting at a computer, get up and it's do something. really good advice, that one. Yeah. Yes. Or, or if you're compulsively doing, 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 very, very busy, stop. And I found that so helpful when I do it. Yes, yes. Yeah, when you do it. You know, that, yeah. that one that you mentioned, uh, I, I had a psych, I was, I was seeing a, uh, I was actually in group therapy and this psychologist was really, really, really good. But one thing that he believed in was um, just like if, you know, if you're depressed, and I was always suffering from depression, he said, go get up and take a walk, do something, mm-hmm. do some kind of activity. Um, and, and he says, I know it's hard to do, but once you do it, it really does help. And he, he, he gave an example. He said back in the old days and mental institutions, when they had, they don't have, um, they're not as big here as they used to be, but what they used to do with the patients that were suffering from severe depression is they would just have them like wash the walls of the mental institution. And it sounds horrible, but, but that activity was actually helping them you know, um, in some mm. way. So yeah, that kind of reminded me what you just said there. I'm kind of curious, Lee, um, did you ever come to terms with step six and seven? I think I have now. Okay. And, but I'm, I'm currently on step four this time around, okay. so I haven't got to them yet, but okay. for me, it's, oh, I can't remember what, how, how had I put it to myself? Um, I have unhealthy thoughts um, patterns and behavior patterns that I can address um, with the help of therapy and uh, with leaning on other people yeah. Um, yeah. and with questioning myself. Um, I think that's the sort of thing I was thinking about. Yes, that's how that's how I I have come to terms with it as well. It's it's kind of funny. I've I've been to a lot of AA meetings when people would talk about step step six or seven, and one of the one common denominators in most of these talks is that people would say, "Well, God hasn't removed all my character defects," but you'd hear that time and time again. Yeah. And it's kind of funny now because you'd think, "Well, maybe God won't," <laughs> but anyway, yeah. it's it's how we deal with those. Uh, yeah. so-called character defects and and that's the thing isn't it yeah so um there is uh, i don't know if you have if you've read the 12 and 12 um on step six and seven but they're pretty interesting because it talks about character building and mm. so i don't know i i, I don't want to another thing i want to get back to you is on labels because i I, i'm interested Mm. because i don't want to label myself as being a bad a person with bad character necessarily but i do think that i needed to change and i i think there were certain personality traits that i have that weren't very helpful to me or weren't very healthy and so i kind of approach those steps the same way as you do in that i believe that i can change and that i can Mm. that i can change and improve over time by seeking help 
through therapy, through other people, that sort of thing. So, and it's like a it's like a very important part of who I am today is be recognizing that I need to continue developing as a human being and understanding that I'm imperfect and that um, that's okay. But I but it's okay for me to lean on people to for help to seek help and that kind of thing is how I kind of see it. Labels. Yeah, so labels. <laughs> labels. I Well, there's labeling theory, which I only know from br- briefly looking at stuff on Wikipedia, uh-huh. that says that it's unhelpful to label yourself in a negative way or that, yeah. it, could, that it can be. And I find, particularly with the, what, the acting out behaviors, uh-huh. to say I am a compulsive overeater, right. I'd rather say... I have problems with food or I have, you know, I have problems with binge eating. Um, right. And the same with other, you know, problematic behavior, binge drinking, compulsive gaming. I am this thing. Right. I don't find that helpful. But then again, I use so many other labels mm-hmm. comfortably. I have eventually come to terms with the label of borderline personality disorder. Mm-hmm. And I'll say that I have uh, BPD. I'll also say that I am bipolar. Okay. Um, because it feels like it's you know c- kind of part of my essence, really. Right. But also doesn't reflect on me in any kind of moral way. And I don't know why. I you know what well, why, sure. why I like those labels and don't like the other labels. I don't know. I, I don't think I'm necessarily being consistent with this. Uh, I, I've seen um, at our group, I think because we are a secular group here, that we're more likely to find people come to our meeting and say things that you wouldn't hear at other meetings. And, and I have mm-hmm. heard more than a couple of times, it's, and it's usually people younger than me, which is the majority of the world now. <laughs> but anyway, mm-hmm. they, they would come and they, they'd say they don't like having to say I'm an, an alcoholic. And and we do assure them that you don't have to say that, you know, it's just kind of a weird kind of a custom that we have in AA to say, my name is so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. But um, I'm noticing an increasing number of people kind of trickling in here and there that have a problem putting that label alcoholic on themselves. And they also have a problem with the concept of powerlessness um, off the bat, you know, and they just think that. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to attach this label to me and I'm not powerless. I need to feel that I can do something about it. So, um, it's kind of interesting, you know, I, cause I, I kind of learned over time to say, well, yeah, um, acknowledging where I'm powerless actually does empower me to do something about the problem, but that's just the mm-hmm. way that I see it. Some people, they have to see it. They have to see it differently, I guess, um, which is okay. But it's interesting to me that I'm starting to notice these people come in little by little. And maybe, maybe I'm watching a little bit of a, a, a tide change, you know, that maybe 20 or 30 years from now, um, you know, people aren't going to want that label. I, I think all of the pretty much all of the meetings I go to, people will label themselves. Um, I go to this great AA meeting, um, a secular AA one called Heathens, mm-hmm. um, and it's an LGBT um, a, a secular AA group, but it's open to everyone um, regardless of sexuality or belief. And so many people there now aren't. I'll just look introducing themselves by their first name mm-hmm. and some saying that they're a member and 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 some of them still using the the, the label of alcoholic or addict but not everyone i i think partly because of my influence actually interesting 
is quite early on in me going to that group um i will say um you know my name and that i'm a member yeah you know i actually um after about this was a while ago but after i met a few people that had an issue with that especially when they were in the room i would try to introduce myself just as i'm john or maybe i'm in long-term recovery or something like mm-hmm. that just to try to make them feel comfortable uh, or just to show that you know you don't have to say that you're an alcoholic um but it's such so ingrained in me it's just a bad it's just a habit um mm. I, I wonder you know i'm gonna go to a meeting today maybe i'll try a different introduction because <laughs> it would be interesting to see if um uh, if that could change um other how other people um introduce themselves alternately at another aa meeting i go to um i'm the only one who will introduce themselves as mm. not an alcoholic and mm-hmm. um, so which I do feel a little self-conscious there, but I'm quite comfortable being the odd one out, being unique, special snowflake that I am, <laughs> and that we all are. You mentioned powerlessness uh-huh. earlier, and I definitely have problems with the the the, the concepts of powerlessness, surrender, mm-hmm. and um and self will run riot mm, okay. um particularly the the self will run riot thing that seems to be a theme of a couple right. of meetings ago too right. you know i want a coffee that's my will right I, i'm not going to you know have or you know i i i decide to live in a certain place i decide to talk to a person i decide to tie my shoelaces Mm -hmm. you can't ever get rid of that and it does drive me up the wall when people denounce you know having will right um and surrender as well like they usually use that the the two together of uh of of trying to get away from self-will and surrendering themselves to higher power and my tolerance for that isn't isn't Great. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm probably evolving mm. on that too. I unfortunately spent decades in um, traditional AA and really immersing myself in um, that literature. And so it's mm. it's so ingrained in me. But slowly and surely over the last couple of years, I'm beginning to understand things differently. Like having conversations like this with you helps mm. me, helps me kind of come out of that. Because, you know, I've heard some people say it's like, we're always bad. You know, we're, there's something bad about me and mm. I need something outside of me to make me better, you know, and that is kind of a weird concept. And then I've had someone else tell me, well, you can't really give up your will anyway. It's impossible. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. On the other hand, I do want to stress that I don't think that I can do all of these things yeah. on my own, um, that I do need social support, that I do, you know, I've benefited a lot from therapy and medication uh, and the organized programs, you know. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying that, I alone can fix all of these things. Right, right. Same here. I do believe that I need help with, and I, I believe I get help from other people. I don't find that as a higher power. I just believe that I need other people. I love people. I like being with people, and I like learning from people, all kinds of different people. And mm. um, that's that brings a lot of joy in my life and helps me. I learn. I just uh, that's a big part of the person I I've become, I guess. So that's my connection to you know it's my spiritual connection, I guess. Although I don't really get into spirituality, but yeah, that whole self will run right thing. I I used to talk about that quite a bit. I used to be like one of those people that. That would that you would, that would drive you crazy in a meeting. Um, mm. I I don't I don't so much anymore. Yeah, I really focus on 
I really try to focus on what I'm doing today and um, what's going on with my life today. And I'm in a position now where I'm so far removed from the problems of my active addiction that um, it's almost silly talking about them now because they were so long ago. But I've still have learned the lessons from those experiences, I guess. And so mm. I can use those um, those lessons that I've learned um, today, I guess. Yeah. T- talking of long-term recovery, that's a... Um... Of, of one of the problems I had with the labeling is that people in OA with, you know, a decade of, mm-hmm. of recovery from compulsive overeating would, or, you know, introduce themselves as an overeater yeah. or um, compulsive overeater, anorexic bulimic. They would right. say that even if they hadn't restricted or thrown up for, you know, years. Right. Um, but then they're just saying, this is why I'm here, I suppose. Well, this has been really an interesting conversation. I've, I've really, I've really enjoyed this. Um, I think that'll be interesting for people who listen to our podcast to get an idea of, of, um, these different concepts and coming from someone who has the experience in overeating. We've gotten a few emails from time to time, of people in OA here in the States, um, who um, have talked to us, who have asked about, you know, whether or not there is a secular option in OA. And I don't think that there are any um, secular OA groups around here. Um, Maybe that will happen someday. Um, Are you seeing any of them um, spring up in England? No, not at Mm -hmm. all. It just seems to be, I I, I don't seem to hear much about it at at all, you know, secular OA in in the rooms or um, people who are happy you know, want to come together as atheists. Um, I've I found it um, useful in uh, being a member of the secret um, Facebook group of mm-hmm. yours, mm-hmm. Of, well, of, of, of uh, AA Beyond Beliefs, because there's a few of us OA people in there. That's right. So we do talk a bit. Um, but, you know, there's they're over in Canada and uh, the US and I'm over in uh, England and yeah, we're a little bit isolated. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you I'm glad you like that Facebook group. Facebook can be a weird place sometimes. I, I try to I you know, I think our group is pretty healthy for the most part. Um I I it's hard to it's hard to stay on top of things. Every once in a while I I'll, I'll someone will say, Oh, oh, there's a post here that somebody was not being nice or whatever and I'm like, Oh good, I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I, what I like about that part of my experience, I guess, in the program is having all these different experiences from people really from all over the world and all different types of people. That has what that has really enriched my experience. Um, and that's what's what this one thing that's kind of cool about the whole Internet thing. I mean, that I can even have this conversation with you. You know, 20 years ago, mm. this never would have happened. Uh, so that's kind of interesting that we could connect like that. Yeah. This is good. Yeah, I was excited about having this uh, podcast interview. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me too. I I love these. Um, so uh, thank you, and I'm I'm glad that you found the podcast, and um, mm. it's, it's been an amazing experience to be part of this. If uh, I never thought that I would do a podcast, but I'm glad that I do one. <laughs> so. I know. I noticed that the first one that you said that you probably weren't the best person to to do the podcast. So <laughs> yeah. I'm sort of amused at, at how 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 comfortable you sit. You you've gotten over the was it years with it. Yeah, so. it's funny too, Lee, because um, I'm I'm an extremely introverted person. I really am, <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, I still kind of cringe when I hear my my own voice recorded. I don't always like listening to these things, but I get such a um, I don't know. I get so much benefit, I guess. I've grown so much as a person having these conversations with people that that's mm. what drives me to keep doing it, you know? 
So yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for that. Um, okay, so shall we? Yes. That that finish? should yeah that should conclude our, as we as we end our meetings here in Kansas City. We will say, and that concludes our meeting. That concludes our podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks, John. that concludes another episode of aa beyond belief the podcast thanks for listening everybody um i certainly enjoyed that conversation with lee it helped me quite a bit got a lot of uh good stuff out of that hope you did too um next week we continue our tour of england uh as i speak with gary bell gary was a participant in the documentary one little pill and he'll be talking about the sinclair method that'll be a very interesting uh, podcast so please do join us um, if you can think about it, if you would like to support the podcast, uh, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash Belief. And for as little as a dollar or two a month, it would help us out a great deal to pay for transcripts, etc. So uh, thank you again for your support. I appreciate it. And we'll be back again next week.